Welcome to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast, where we support your quest for a happier, healthier, planet-friendly life that supports you, your family, and community. This podcast is brought to you by Go Green Locally Org, a 501c3 Nevada nonprofit. Welcome to our bonus episode of Delving into Local Ecology Restoration with Ed Kleiner with Comstock Seed, a complete interview. We are so honored to have Ed give us this talk today. He is such a storehouse of knowledge, and truly, if you don't know a lot about ecological restoration, you can learn so much in such a short period of time with how he concisely explains everything. So let's dive in. I'm speaking with Ed Kleiner with Comstock Seed in Gardnerville, Nevada. Let's start off with you telling me a little bit about Comstock Seed and how you got about to creating this company and and a little bit of the history. Uh, 32 years ago, it was called a Seed Futures. And we uh, we basically, I, w- I wasn't married yet. I was alone, but I'd been in law school and learned all I wanted to learn. But uh, it was the time when Seize the Moment was big. If you remember Robin Williams, Carpe Diem, and the Dead Poet Society. And, and uh, I walked out of law school at Christmas of my second year and had a job down at the Mexican border collecting seed. And we were collecting a weed that was going to be an ornamental flower for drought-tolerant landscaping in Tucson, Arizona, way back then. Um, but I, I latched on to a seed company named Abzorka Farm up in Wyoming, which was owned by a cousin and his wife. And they were, they were in charge of supplying local seed to a, a coal mine. And it was an early restoration project that used something besides pasture grasses. And so uh, we had this, this wish list of species for coal mine strip reclamation up in Wyoming. And and for one year, I was employed by them and ran around uh, northern Montana and Wyoming and and collected seed. And and I I just never looked back. The following year, I I started my my own independent operation and contracted sales to them and within a few years, uh, a big company in Utah, Native Plants Incorporated, us shot up, and 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 there was no end in the demand. All of a sudden, for native species that weren't grown on farms, and we've really never had to market much over the years because the demand for that kind of material never stops growing, and we're doing much better at growing it on farms now. And some of our seed goes to farm production. We're very busy with the government right now. We're working on IDIQ collections, which are seeds that are genetically localized somewhere that they have a demand for. So they want to grow stuff that evolved in a place where they're using it versus bringing in non-natives or even native species from other regions. So we're trying to match local ecotypes with seed that evolved in those ecotypes. And that trend sells itself. Um, Those species are what are related to the local pollinators, uh, the local flora and fauna, the, the ecology of the site. And and that is what seems to make long-term success, not the species that we've been bringing in from as far away as Russia, the Eurasian dryland grasses that we've put on the range for years. They grow as monocultures, and, and they do well for erosion control, but no ecological connectivity. Those are the buzzwords we live on. So it just grew and grew and grew, and we uh, opened up in Reno in, in 1991 to cater to the gold mines of the Great Basin. The next thing you knew, we were supplying a, a Sierra Pacific power 
with seed for utility corridors. The next thing you knew, we were supplying seed into the common pool for fires through the Forest Service and the BLM. And then lo and behold, we're, we're 10 miles from Lake Tahoe. Well, guess what's always going on at Lake Tahoe? The watershed preservation up there, uh, physical stability of the habitats, uh, and 17 watersheds to keep the sediments out of the lake and keep the lake blue. And so those are, those are markets that scream for local genetic material. And here we sit. So we, we branched out for years and worked all over the Western USA, Canada and Mexico. But then when we realized the complexity of a local ecotype, we had to slow down and say, well, we don't just want sagebrush and rabbit brush for the Great Basin. We want all the spring herbs. We want all the other shrubs. We want the colonizer species. And then the, the specialized habitat for monarchs in Western Nevada or any other specialty animal out there has its habitat. Sage grouse is big. Their habitat's all over this. The, the bi-state sage grouse restoration work we do is with California down in Bridgeport. And so that all wants local seed. And, you know, I'm, I'm at the end of my career and it's just getting good. The science of the genetics, of following the genotypes of these species, and then matching what we're collecting to those, the, the habitat requirements with those genotypes is, is all being documented now by scientists, both private and public sector, sort of confirming and vindicating what we sort of always have thought. And we just didn't have the words or the scientific uh, capability to know what's going on. And, and now we do. And so I'm, I'm just hoping that, that others pick up and take off from where we are. And I'm, I'm sort of optimistic. There's a lot of young students coming out in, in, in the public schools and the colleges that are, are dialed in on such scientific minutia, but that minutia all ties together into a bigger picture and, and it's all being understood there. So soil science is a whole other category, would have been my, my next choice for another life because it's the building block with, with geology, it's the building block of what grows and, and why it grows and the interrelationship between plants, roots, and soil, the microbials in the soils. That's a whole invisible world of why plants survive or perish without that soil connectivity. And so, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for the future. Um, so if someone is probably new to what your business does, can you explain to them how you might be able to like customize a seed mix for like where they're living, if they're in an urban setting or outside of that, or how, what goes into that choice for you or, or suggestion? You know, it, the stuff we were doing out on coal mines and fires and utilities, all stuff that survives with very little water. And we were still living in Reno when meters were being installed. And we were the first people on our block to volunteer to have a meter. And the minute water consumption got tied to the pocketbook, the idea of urban restoration for us took off or reclamation if we're, if we're modifying yards instead of fixing wild habitats. And so in, in Reno, we just had a conference and set up urban work and brought in all the engineering firms and the architects and had this big lunch up at Rancho San Rafael and talked about seed blends for the new age yard. And every yard is different. And we started right off with our own. We had a little house up in the Northwest off of 7th Street. It was dead turf grass, which are cool season grasses, which don't like summer heat and bad clay soils in our desert climate. And we tore all the turf up and made a dust storm and all the neighbors were scratching their heads. What are they doing? It was a showcase yard on a corner of an intersection. And we planted all of these native grasses and wildflowers and all sorts of heights and statures. And we tell homeowners, um, 
we sell shrubs, grasses, and flowers. Some of these plants can be six feet tall. So you have to be very careful about what you put in the ground. Um, you don't want to bury your sidewalk or, or your driveway or, or, or some windows that you have view sheds out of. But we grew uh, some wildflower islands in the middle of bunch grasses, got rid of the lawnmower, literally, and put a few overheads out there to replace these dead sprinkler systems and work on the soils a little, which is big, big time advice. That's where you start. If you're going to plant seed, one thing you have to know is the old, the old yard has roots from old grasses in it. It has tons of weed seeds. And when you create a void by killing everything off, you are inviting a disaster into your yard. And so you have to be aware that initially you're going to be discouraging weeds. And if you have living roots of turf grass still in your yard and you go plant other things and make everything happy and start irrigating it, that turf might come back to haunt you. And I tell a lot of folks, if, if you want to start a transition, stop mowing and go on with your irrigation on a lighter schedule and, and see what it looks like. A lot of turf grasses are low profile, and, and we'll even tell folks, leave the perimeter unmowed and mow the center if you still want to play bocce ball and you have little children that want to run around and, and see what happens. And then, then we start throwing seed into some of those old turfs. A transition from an old mowed turf to a wild landscape has a lot of nuances in between. And so you can have, up at Tahoe, we have lots of turf alternative blends that we use because of seasonal homeowners. They want something that's relatively low profile, that's not mowed, doesn't need much fertility, may or may not be watered, and it'll just sit there and do the erosion control job that folks like the TRPA in the city of South Lake Tahoe and the Forest Service want when you're living in those watersheds up there. And so, so those are, those are perceptually something that still looks like grass. And, and we adopted that onto golf courses in a big way. There's areas that you, will, you don't play in. There's areas that you always shoot over. And we started putting roughs in golf courses, and we became part of the Scottish Lynx tradition with golf courses, these rough, moundy areas. And then the golf courses also started asking for landscaping that defines where people go and where they don't go. And so we started planting, let's say, Great Basin Wild Rye is a six-foot-tall grass. Well, you could put a hedge of that out on property, and people don't go through that. They go around it. And so, so we started making hedge blends, which include tall grasses and tall flowers and even shrubs that might be tree borderline. And you, you've heard of the concept of hedge rowing. Uh, down in the Central Valley of California, they farm right up to the road edge and they've destroyed all the natural habitat for the pollinators. Well, a hedgerows, one of their big roles is to recreate a pollinator habitat. And some bee folks from, the, from Utah State University came over to our farm once and told us that a lot of bees just don't nest in hives or in boxes or in paper products that grow off your eaves. They nest in the ground itself. And when they looked out at my seven or eight acres of wetlands where we do harvest seed and we have bird habitat and we have standing water occasionally, we also have undisturbed soils that cattle don't walk on and machines don't drive on. And a, a lot of our pollinators live in that soil. That was such an important concept to us that just leaving undisturbed ground for them. And hedgerows do that as well. And the other neat thing we found out about hedgerows is people that want privacy 
And a lot of times it involves the neighbor's dogs, the neighbor's windows that are higher than yours, and all the activity on the street and the noise around the corner. Well, if they have an, a fence, they can grow things along the fence line that will not be mowed, and they can pick species that can be tall, they can be colorful, and a lot of color is not just in flowers, it's in the colors of barks and the wood and the, and the perennial vegetation. We learned a lot from Tom Stilliot in of Gardens years ago when he started doing wild landscape alternatives throughout Reno. And we found ourselves buried with work with the common areas in homeowners associations. And Somerset became one of our biggest places to showcase native vegetation. We've taken tours up there to look at a lot of the common areas, and that includes borders and fences. And so hedgerows, fences become privacy. They, they hold the wind back. They house the pollinators. And we're, we're doing our highway right now. We have, we have over 1,000 feet of Highway 88, which is big-time noise. When the motorcycles come to town and the weekend traffic comes to town, we put a pressurized land out there so that we can start vegetation growing. But we're growing the type of species that will not need lots of permanent irrigation. And so a lot of those have already grown where the roots have hit the groundwater that they want, or they don't need much water at all. And they're, they're now native dryland shrubs. And we want hedgerows mostly that do that, that don't use much water. In Reno, lots of the older landscaping that needs lots of water and lots of fertility ends up sending sediment and nutrient to the river, to the Truckee, off to Pyramid Lake to help promote the algal blooms. And that's been one of our biggest pushes is to stop the watershed contaminations uh, that cause those problems. And Tahoe is so progressive in that front, but conceptually, the same idea applies to Reno. We just have, I, I guess at Patalo, there's a, a lot more funding to keep the lake blue, and, and it's a defined watershed by the perimeter around the lake. But homeowners can be a big part of this. Um, we grow milkweed all over our farm just to help monarch butterflies, and they've had a real crash in their population to migrate up from the central California coast. The, we went down and checked all those uh, areas out around Pismo and Monterey a couple years ago, and the, the numbers of monarchs there are way down. Part of the key to the connectivity for them is their migratory patterns over the Sierras into the Great Basin and our area. So here we are helping our habitat by growing more monarch plants, monarch-friendly plants, but the butterflies have slowed down. The, the climate change that creates sporadic bad weather conditions over the Sierras is part of what's affecting them, I'm convinced. We saw our hatchings last summer into the fall, just about the time that some early cold weather hit. And, and I can imagine these guys making it back over to Pismo when you have winter blizzards hitting. And likewise in the spring, the last few years in our gardens, especially this spring, have been mediocre. Weird tomatoes, squashes all infested. Uh, we have vineyards, so our grapes have frozen off two or three times with clusters before we finally got rid of the last frost. And we actually had freezing in June several times, and in July, early July, we had killing frost. And so that screams for a backyard of diverse vegetation. And a lot of the native plants have evolved to survive these wild climate fluctuations. But on the other hand, the fluctuations are more frequent and more extreme now, and we're even testing the limits of native plants. We're worried about rarity of plants, some of the highest Sierra plants like bristle cones and white bark pines. Um, I was just up at 10 and 11,000 feet for a week. And there's a lot of areas where, where the white bark pine are all deceased 
Um, they're just standing dead trees, whether it be bug infestation or drought or long-term climatic conditions. And we can, we can help the future of that trend by growing very diverse communities. Uh, you know, as we were about to leave Reno, the shrubs that we had seeded into our front yard were sprouting all over the place. Um, growing natives in your yard, I tell people, is a patient game. The most important thing in a seed blend for them are early colonizing species that will help to crowd out weeds, root in the soil, stabilize, and sort of go away. We call it seral transition or, or seral type transition into what will be your climax community. This is basic ecological restoration concepts that we use in the yard. But that means your yard is going to change first year, second year, third year. And down the road, though, you're going to have much more definition of mature grasses in bunches with wavy heads and, and shrubs that have variable canopy heights. And you want to be very careful where you put those shrubs. They're woody plants that can grow big. Um, some folks will come to us with very set ideas of what they want. They want a flower bed here, and they want grass around it there. They want the shrubs over there. And what happens a lot of times is, well, the flowers grow up, and they make flowers, and they're pretty. They make seed. Which way does the wind blow? Prevailing winds out of the southwest. And we have watched flower beds march out of their beds within a few years, follow the grass to the fence line, and pile up along the fence like tumbleweeds. And... And you have to tell people, well, do you mind that? If you want it back in the bed, I guess you better start pulling them out. And, you know, it's a, I tell people, do you, if you want a, a Bouchard gardener, a very refined English landscape, don't call us. Call a landscape architect and plant very specific things where you want that sense of control. And nature's a little more wild. Nature evolves. Nature changes year by year and by season. And you have to let the weeds cohabitate a little while this starts. But if you... If you know what's not good and what's good, the idea isn't to try to just nuke everything that's bad or uproot all those weeds because you'll also be tearing out good sprouts. But if most of the weeds in your yard are annuals and they are usually start off that way, all you got to do is cut them off for a year and you're, you're eliminating that plant and the seed from the seed bank of the soil and you leave your favorable stuff to grow up and make seed and drop that seed into the soil. And over time, you're altering the seed bank away from what was turf and weeds into the perennials and even the annual flowers. You know, we like those too. Um, but you're changing the seed bank for the long term so that all these plants have a lifespan. They die. Uh, not what you're doing. It, they're going to die of old age just like we do. And so there needs to be a seed bank. And we call it temporal dynamics. The plant community has to have young plants and old plants and plants in between so that you're always changing over and rebuilding, reoccurring what you had there. And so there's a lot of dynamics that play into it and a lot of complexity. But the I would say third, three quarters of your work is up front with the soil, with the preparation, the timing, getting things germinated and stabilized. Then a quarter of your work over the next year is teasing weeds away, encouraging the plants you want, making a few changes here and there. Um, irrigation is a little simpler. It can be on drip or it can be overheads, but we went to the trouble to put all these drips and micro jets onto our, our Reno property. Within two years, the plants just overwhelmed those systems. We cut them off at the ground and abandoned them and put very strategic overheads in a few places that we would turn on once a week. Um, you know, it's, it, it's a lot less water than and you can stress turf if you're not watering two and three times a week, uh, not on Sundays, odd even days, whatever that might be. 
Our rule of thumb to contractors, to landscape people, and to homeowners is that generally you need five minutes an hour during the heat of the day to germinate seed. And that means you're dampening only the surface and keeping the surface wet for two weeks while you're getting things to germinate, sometimes three weeks. Uh, in Reno, we had a east-facing backyard, a west-facing front yard, and a two-story house. And so it, it ended up being the backyard was, was on four minutes an hour, 10 to four. The front yard was on six minutes an hour, 10 to four. And we recall a golf course housing development trying to grow poppies so they could sell their house lots in the spring. And they couldn't get anything to germinate because of heat and wind. And they switched 60 acres over to two minutes every 15 minutes for eight minutes an hour to kickstart germination and get the flowers up so that six weeks later they had color all replaced for massive open houses. And so every site is specific on the species you're growing, on how you irrigate it, how you maintain it, and, and it, needs a, it needs some real thought. And a lot of folks have no sense of a green thumb when they walk in our door and we start talking. We feel like a marriage counselor because we'll, we'll ask a question and he'll look at her, her will look at him, and neither one of them has any idea what they want to say. And we can have some serious arguments. You got to duck around here once in a while. But, but So we play marriage counselor and we, we finally figure out what they really want in their yard and we can help out. But some of these people scream to go down and talk to your local landscape architect or your architectural firm. Um, one of the articles that I had to for show off here was in the Reno Gazette Journal, Landscape Architects Shift Emphasis to the Ecosystem. And they said right here, insect habitat, building block of food webs, native plants evolve with native insects to support the food web. Lawn is a luxury that we can no longer afford. I don't like to say no longer afford, but minimize. If you still have children, you have some lawn. If you're a retired couple or your kids are off to college and you're not using the lawn, immediately slow down on mowing and start playing with less water let some of it die off and a few clumps survive and start changing the yard out to use less water and be more responsible locally um, it was a major marketing boost when reno decided to mandate a water restrictive land state natural landscaping and and require common areas to stop growing turf all the time and that just caused a boom for housing development and ordinances. We, we created all sorts of blends to satisfy local ordinances between Reno, Carson, and Tahoe. And, and those blends are easy to, for us to say, well, you sort of fit this blend, but everybody's a little different. So sometimes we've seen our blends rubber stamped where they don't belong. Somebody picked them up out of the literature or from websites or a landscape architect took it from here and put it over there. And it's a whole different ballgame over there. And so there's a lot of caveat for rules of thumb. With the irrigation, I told you how complex your yard can be. Rules of thumb are valuable, but also dangerous. You can set up a design that fails. Sure, I'll, I'll sell you some seed, but I can tell it's going to crash in a few years. Major issues because some best of management practice was adopted from Illinois or Chicago or Toronto, wherever the landscaping firm is that's dealing with the new Walmart parking lot and, and, and in large scale plans from other places. It works great in Georgia, but, but not here. So can you guide people as to like, if they're going to buy a seed blend, you're going to kind of steer them in the direction over the next few years, how that plan should roll out? We do a lot of that. And we're down in Gardnerville now instead of Reno. And, and we do. We do a lot of advice giving. Um, we're, we're more commercial, though. 
we deal with a lot of times landscape contractors and housing development and government agencies. That's most of our work. We are surrounded by farms down here. We were surrounded by homes in Reno, and that's a service that we continue to provide. We wholesale a lot into the nurseries because we like them to give a lot of that advice as well. So we don't market retail much anymore. But people are welcome, and we prefer, especially with COVID, we prefer phone calls. We like to give phone advice. We like people to go visit our website, and we're continually adding things in there. Um, how to seed, what to seed, when to seed, how to deal with soils, uh, techniques for doing these sort of things. Um, but our website is not secure for sales, um, but we do UPS daily from here. Um, a lot of inexpensive seed though, UPS is more than the cost of the seed, unless you your time and your gas to drive on down, but you're welcome too. But we also sell through a lot of the nurseries. Uh, we, we love Greenhouse Garden Center in Carson City, all of the nurseries at Lake Tahoe. Um, they're invaluable. We work with Moana. Uh, the contractors we work with include Kelly Erosion, Moana, uh, Soil Tech and Sparks. Some of these folks do homes once in a while, but most of them are commercial as well because they use big machinery that doesn't fit in your driveway or your backyard. Um, but the landscapers all work in your backyards. And, and the minute you say the word native, well, we get calls from the landscape architects and the landscapers, and they say, we have a home up in Northeast Reno, and they want this, 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 and this, or Northwest Reno, or they tell us about the yard or the customer. And so we deal to the public a lot of it networked through the contractors. And you know, when, when these jobs are difficult and hard, the contractors that work there have armies of people that will make sure the sprinklers are working right and make sure it gets up and running. It's worth, and they, they'll come to your yard and give you a lot of advice and they'd prefer to have a job once they've done that. And so we work with them because they're on the ground. They're the boots on the ground up there 40 miles from where we are, and we can only give so much advice. We can sell seed of measured, guaranteed quality, um, but somebody needs to be in charge of on the ground. Okay. Well, super. So what is your website address? Uh, ComstockSeed.com. It's, it's lovely. There's a, there's a blog in there. Occasionally we're in there. There's movies of the owls in our barn, hatching and raising chicks. Uh, great for third graders, a little gory at times. Um, and Aiden in our office is very website- uh, literate. She's relatively new here and she's expanding that site. Um, and we hope to eventually secure the site for website transactions as well. Thank you for listening to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast. Please take good care of you and yours. Stay well and help us all make this a kinder, healthier, and greener community for all. 